Uh, welcome to those online with us as well. Hey, would you guys join with me and stand up? Let's, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 1, and then I'm going to have you uh, join me for a couple of verses after this. So it says this in verse 18 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then I was going to invite you to read with me from uh, Psalm chapter 130, verse 3 and 4, it says this. Would you read with me? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And then Matthew 121, read with me. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then back to Psalm 132, verses. Verse 5, it says this. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. We pray, God, that our hearts would just be open to see and hear who you are, Jesus, that we would grow in our understanding of the Christmas story, that we would grow in our our love for you, Lord, in our heart for your kingdom, in our desire to follow you, to serve you. We pray, Lord, that as, as we consider the, the Christmas story this morning, that our lives would just be transformed and changed, Lord. So we just invite you to speak to us by your spirit, Lord. Pray that you'd bring unction and power to the teaching of God's word. We pray that Jesus would be glorified and that every, that every ear that hears that heart would be turned towards Christ this morning. And so, Lord, we just set our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, should we leave the heat on? Yes? <laughs> Is it too noisy, those furnaces? We okay? Okay. Right on. Well, we're in, I wanted to take a peek at the Christmas story this morning. Obviously, we're just in that time of year, that season. And I called this message the, the mission of Emmanuel. And the first thing that we that I want to point out this morning is just that very thing that the mission of Emmanuel is this according to the Christmas story that he will save his people from their sins. Now it's amazing the gospel of Matthew commits uh you know the bulk of well all of the first chapter and the bulk of the second chapter uh towards the genealogy and the birth narrative of Jesus and the mission of Emmanuel the mis- mission of Christ is stated in verse 21 of that first chapter. If it's not underlined in your Bible, underline this verse, okay? Maybe you want to 
Mark in, in the margins even, this is the mission of Emmanuel. It's this. It says again, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now Jesus didn't come uh, as was expected in his generation to break the yoke of power held by the Romans. He didn't come to reestablish the kingdom of David. What Matthew tells us, what the angel announced is this, that Jesus came to break the yoke of sin's power. He came to establish the kingdom of God. The object of his advent, often at Christmas, is, is misunderstood, or even in church it can be you know, kind of watered down and, and misunderstood, as though he simply came, as though Christ simply came to save us from sin's consequence. To save us from, you know, the results of our sin. And I don't want us this morning as we turn to the word of God to dumb down the mission of Emmanuel. Jesus did not simply come to save us from the consequences and the results of our sin. He actually came to free us from the grip of sin's power. To set us free from the grip of sin's power. The salvation Work of Jesus, listen church, it isn't limited to just dealing with the consequences of sin. Jesus came to deliver us from sin itself. That's why when you, when you read the genealogy, I mean, I, we're all the same. You come to genealogies in scripture and your eyes kind of glaze over and you think, okay, here we go, another genealogy. But Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 is not some bland, boring record of Christ's Heredity, it's not some weak, character, uh, characterless account of his ancestry. The genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 is a record of men and women who are most notable, I would tell you, in a certain sense, for having evil and notorious character. Men and women who fell short of the glory of God. Men and women who we often appear, I think, appear to be heroes in the story, but each one of them is flawed and they are marred by sin's presence in their life. And Jesus came directly from this family line and God permitted it. God permitted this so that no sinner in any generation anywhere, however bad they might be, however caught in the grip of sin's consequence and power they might be, this genealogy is there in the scripture to teach us and to tell us that we can boldly call on the name of Jesus and he will save us from our sins. If they would have such a soul that they would say, like the psalmist in Psalm 130, I, I love this psalm, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the, warn the morning. The record of Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus is there to show us that though sin mars the life of every human being, every man or woman, sin was absolutely powerless to stain or to tarnish the nature, the sinless nature of Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And yes, he came in the likeness of sinners, but the scripture and his life declared that he knew no sin. Sin corrupted his ancestors. Sin has corrupted us. Sin's consequence and power has gripped the heart of every man or woman born in the nature 
of the first Adam, as Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it? But the word of God tells us that Jesus' heart was not sick. His heart was not deceitful. And the angel declared the purpose of his coming, the motivation for his appearing, the Father's will, the mission was this, he will save his people from their sin. He'll save his people from their sin. And the question we must ask ourselves, the question we must ask our own heart is this, am I one of his people? He saves his people from their sins. Are you one of his people? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? Have you surrendered the self-life to the lordship of Jesus? Have you surrendered the self-will to his rule? Have you acted towards him in repentance and faith? Have you turned from your own way and been born of the Spirit? Have you responded to the call of Christ who says, follow me? He said, whoever would come after me must pick up his cross daily and follow me. And the announcement of the angel at the birth account was this. He will save his people from their sin. Not just from sin's consequence. Not just from sin's result. Not just saved from sin's power. Jesus will save you from sin itself. Amen. You know, we're powerless in the face of sin. We're helplessly and hopelessly yoked to sin. But the gospel story is this, that Christ has smashed the yoke and he calls us to yoke ourselves to him. You know, this morning we sang Silent Night and Away in a Manger and I love those songs, but there's a certain sense that, you know, in our day and age, the church is so sanitized the birth narrative and the story of Christ's coming that when we sing these songs, Away in a Manger and Silent Night, we become numb to the reality that the birth account is a rescue mission. This was the Father's mission, the coming of Emmanuel to save his people from their sins. And Matthew's gospel opens with this assertion that Jesus is the Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This gospel account opens and Matthew tells us this. Jesus is the Christ. He is Christ. Jesus Christ. To call Jesus by that title, Christ, is to call him God's anointed. He is the anointed one. Christ is a title given to him to identify him as the one whom is God's chosen servant. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And the fact that he is the Christ is demonstrated by two titles that are given to him immediately afterwards by Matthew. He calls him the son of David and the son of Abraham. These are, I mean, just to get technical for a second, these are Christological terms. They are telling us about the nature and the work and the person of Jesus, who is the Christ. Who is the Christ? He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the meaning of these titles are illustrated in the genealogy. You know, in the Bible, genealogies matter. You know, like I said, our, our eyes glaze over a little bit when we come to genealogies. 
But genealogies tell you where you come from. That's why they matter. Where do you come from? You know, you meet someone in church and say, oh, where, where are you from? What's your story? What's your history? That matters. A genealogy tells us where we come from. Like here's an, a couple examples from the scripture. Genesis chapter 2 tells us the account of the creation of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. And it's like a genealogy in Genesis 2. Listen to this. 2.4. These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created. In the, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. And then Genesis goes on to tell us of the creation of man, their origin, where men and women come from. They're made in the image of God and they follow the creation account. Genesis 5 is another example, an account of the generations from Adam to Noah. And it says this in Genesis 5.1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. It says, this is where Adam came from. This is whose likeness he came in. He came in the likeness of God. And so where we come from is important because it tells us who we are. And so Jesus is given two titles. I would even say three titles immediately in the first verse of Matthew. He's called the Christ, and then he's called the son of David, the son of Abraham. This tells us who he is. The son of David is a royal title. The title son of David identifies that Jesus is Christ, the Messiah, by royal descent. Remember David? David had it in his heart as he was the king of Israel. He had it in his heart to build a house for the Lord. And it was a good desire. The prophet Nathan spoke to him when David said, this is in my heart. Nathan said to him, that's a good desire. You just go and do it. And then Nathan left the presence of David and God spoke to him and turned him around and he went back to David and he told David this, David, your desire to build God a house is very good. But David, you're a man of blood. You shed much blood in war. And, and so you're not the man to do this. But because you've desired to honor God in this way, Yahweh is going to make a covenant with you. And one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever. And he is the one who will build the house of the Lord. And so son of David is a title for Christ that tells us he has come in fulfillment to the covenant Yahweh made with David that one of his descendants would forever perpetually reign on the throne of David. It is he who will build a house for the Lord. It is he who will build God's temple. New Testament tells us that he's building a temple of living stones. And that person, the son of David, is Jesus. He is the Christ the son of David, God's anointed, the chosen, the Messiah. Matthew also calls Jesus the son of Abraham. That's a title. The son of Abraham identifies Jesus racially. That Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. He was a Jew. Now, what's the significance of this title? I love this title, son of Abraham. You remember the account of Genesis chapter 22? When God instructed Abraham, that he was to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
And so Abraham left his home. He packed up. He took Isaac with him, and they made a journey to Mount Moriah. And in obedience to the Lord, Abraham took his son to Mount Moriah, and he was going to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to the Lord. And as they were going up the mountain, Isaac realized what was, you know, going on, that something was missing. He said, Father, you know, we've got the wood. We've got the fire. Where's the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham said to him, Son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And when the Lord rescued Isaac, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And the Lord said to Abraham, because you've not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And in your offspring, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the son of Abraham. It's a messianic title that declares he is the Christ. He is the chosen instrument. He is God's anointed. Jesus is the father's provision for the sin of mankind. He is the lamb. He is the lamb the father would provide for the sacrifice. He is the Christ. And so Matthew's gospel opens the genealogy and the birth narrative and it tells us the mission that of Emmanuel is this, that he is going to save his people from their sins. And the assertion of the very first verse of Matthew chapter 1 is to identify that Jesus is this person. Let me tell you something. If you are looking for someone to save you from your sins, look no further than the person of Jesus. He is the Christ. You can have no doubt. You don't have to question you can take God at his word. In fact, the Father has reserved a special title to identify his son. He says this, Jesus is the Christ. He is Christ Jesus, son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogy is interesting. When you read it, I'll spare you me stumbling over all the names this morning. <laughs> But the genealogy tells us about the commonplace of all men caught in sin. The genealogy, we'll read this in a moment, has a threefold division. It, it, it accounts three groups of 14 generations. There are some people that are actually left out of this accounting of Jesus' genealogy, but it, it seems to be organized this way to help for memorization, in case you would see fit to memorize the genealogy for some reason. Certainly not on the top of my list, but uh, all the power to you. And the family line is traced from Abraham to David, from David down through the generations to those who were taken into captivity and those, and then a, a third accounting of those who returned from exile in Babylon. And in the list is the great patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there are Gentiles and woman, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba is inferred but unnamed. She's counted as the wife of Uriah. There's bad men in this list. There's what I might call, I'm going to say good men in this list. The bad, Judah, Manasseh, Jeconiah, the, the good, so to speak, Uzziah, Hezekiah, Josiah, to name a few. 
And when I use the word good, it's certainly not in, this, in, in the sense of perfection, in the perfect sense, because although I call them good, I mean, Uzziah went into the temple to offer an unauthorized sacrifice, and the priest tried to stop him. And when he would not listen and he went into the presence of God, leprosy broke out on his face and they managed to save his life and they rushed him out. But he spent the rest of his life living in isolation as a leper. I classify Hezekiah in the good, but let me remind you, in his pride, he gave a tour of the royal treasuries to the Babylonian envoy and he whet their appetite to conquer Jerusalem and he was the father of the most notorious, one of the most notorious kings in the history of Israel, Manasseh. I called Josiah good, and he did lots of good things, but the scripture is very clear to tell us that Josiah did not lead the nation perfectly in following the Lord, and he was struck down at a young age. The genealogy has bad men and good men. The genealogy has a record of the illustrious like David and Solomon. But then there's unknown people like Eliakim, who is he? Or Jacob, the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is the Christ. It's like in the Christ and in his genealogy is the blending of all sorts of men and women from all generations, so to speak, acclaimed and obscure, those seeming of high quality and those who maybe we would call deplorable, all of them have this in common. They're marred at birth, marred by sin. Each and every person listed in that genealogy, and it's all to teach us that Christ that Jesus is the representative of all men. Every one of us can find some level of familiarity to some person in that genealogy, and we can be connected to Christ. In the spectrum of good and bad, acclaimed to obscure, we all land in those margins. And Christ is God's anointed, the representative and the helper of us all. And the one thing common to all men and all women in every age is this. We need Jesus. We need God's anointed. We need God's anointed, the one who came to save his people from their sin. Matthew chapter 1 verse 17, it says this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And the genealogy is there to tell us that Jesus is willing, he is willing to identify himself with sinful humanity. He's called Emmanuel. Jesus is called Emmanuel, a name that means God with us. It does not imply that Jesus was first human and then he added deity to his nature. That would be a false teaching, church. It's important we don't get this wrong. 
The implication of the title Emmanuel does not mean that Jesus was a man who attained to godhood. That's not biblical. Jesus did not become the Christ. Jesus is eternally God. He did not add God to his human nature. Rather, he added humanity to his deity. He was the eternal son of God and the eternal son of God humbled himself, and the word of God tells us that he took on the very form of a servant. He clothed himself in human flesh. And it's greatly mysterious, isn't it? Fully God, fully man, entirely mysterious. Jesus has been God for all eternity, and then he added to his deity humanity, and he is forever the God-man. Eternally God in human flesh. We say this, he's incarnate. That's a word we use around Christmas. We say God incarnate. Incarnate means this, in human form. God in human form. He could be seen. He could be heard. His voice could be, he could teach the word of God and his voice would be heard. He could be touched. He opened the eyes of the blind. He put his hands upon them. He unstopped the ears of, of the deaf. He placed his hands on people and they were healed. With a word, he healed the sick and he raised the dead. God incarnate. And yet the word of God tells us he knew sorrow and he knew hunger and he knew pain and he knew grief and temptation and yet there was no sin in him. See, what Matthew is telling us through the genealogy is that that through the incarnation... God was willing to identify his son with sinful humanity. And it was entirely necessary. If he was to provide himself a lamb to take away the sins of the world, the lamb must identify with those he came to save. Like in the Old Testament, when a worshiper would come to the temple... And offer a sacrifice. Let's say a worshiper brought to the temple a lamb to be sacrificed. He would place his hands on the animal. And by doing so, he was identifying the transfer of his own sin onto the animal. The animal was going to bear his sins. And by placing his hands on the the animal, it was a ceremonial act by which the worshiper's sin transferred onto that animal... And the animal would pay, the, sacrifice, pay the, the consequence of sin. Blood would be shed. And it was the worshiper who did this act. The worshiper transferred his sins onto the sacrificial lamb by placing his hands on the sacrifice. Now Jesus is the lamb of God. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God incarnate. The lamb of God clothed himself in flesh to identify with sinful humanity. But here's the thing that's different from the practice of the Old Testament. The difference is this. The the Lamb of God initiated the touch point. The Lamb of God took the sins of the world upon himself. Jesus was willing to identify with sinful humanity. That's why he clothed himself in flesh and he touched human beings. He bore our sin, paid the price, so much so that he went to the cross to bear the wrath of God and yet he was unstained by sin because he was sinless. 
Christ submitted to the will of God and he was punished for our sin and yet he was uncorrupted. Sin had no power over him. Christ was not held in the clutches of sin. Christ was not held in the clutches of sin's consequence. Christ Jesus was not held hostage to the results of sin. Christ Jesus was not captive to sin's power. That's you and I. We're captive to sin's power, and Jesus Christ has borne our sin. The son of David, the son of Abraham, the Christ humbled himself, and let's say it this way. I would say this, God got low, so to speak. Like imagine this today if you, I don't know, went for a walk in the forest and the snow's coming down, and while you were on your walk, imagine this tragedy. You come upon a child who's lost in the forest. All alone, they're cold, they're shivering, they're wet, they're scared. How would you approach that child, that lost child? Well, you would approach by getting low. You'd probably get down on one knee. You'd look that child in the eye. You'd speak words of comfort, and when you could bring that child close enough, you'd place your hand upon them to assure them, I'm here, you're no longer lost. That's what Jesus did, church. That's what Jesus did. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And Jesus did not have time for prideful men, men who blew him off. Jesus had harsh words for those who were prideful before him, but to the humble and to the hurting, he put his hands upon them, spoke words of comfort. Emmanuel, God incarnate, the Christ, God's anointed, the Messiah got low and he was willing to identify with sinful humanity to look us in the eye, so to speak, to touch us and to allow all of our sins to transfer upon himself. He was willing to identify with sinful humanity and to comfort us. He was willing to identify with sinful humanity because he was the Lamb of God who came to save his people from their sins. In the birth narrative, the story that we celebrate at Christmas, the times that we're going to have with our families and together as a church, Well, this story is not neat, and it's not tidy, and it's not a postcard as much as we paint it as such. Jesus was born into the mess of humanity. He was born into a world in the grasp of sin. It was not presents perfectly wrapped and placed under the tree, and it's not stockings neatly hung by the chimney with care. It's a story of human sin and human fear into which God humbly entered. Incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, here to rescue the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. And Joseph was told, you shall call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And it says this in Matthew Chapter 1, verse 25 about Joseph. And he called his name Jesus. You know, this morning as 
we just consider these things, I just ask you this simple question. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Are you one of his people? Are you one of his people? Let me read to you a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 3 says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Matthew, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the anointed if you know Jesus, aren't you glad that you don't have to look any further? That there is salvation found nowhere else. It's in him. And let me tell you this this morning. If you're here or watching with us online and you don't know Jesus, I can tell you, you can look no further. He is the Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent Jesus. And as neatly as we package up the Christmas story and the way that we celebrate it and the way that we remember, Lord, this morning from your word, we recall this reality that, that Christ was sent into the world, a world that was held in the grip of sin's power, sin's consequence, Sin's result, and Jesus came to save his people from their sins. This morning, Jesus, we look to you. Jesus, this morning, we confess that you are Lord. Jesus, this morning, we acknowledge you are the Christ. You are God's anointed. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and we thank you, Jesus, that you got low. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to identify with us so that you could save us. And Lord, this morning, we look nowhere else. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to religion. We don't look to anyone else. Jesus, this morning, we look to you. Save your people from their sins, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't bowed the knee to you, Lord. I pray, God, that they would recognize that you are the Christ who's come to save them from sin's power and sin's consequence. So, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. We pray that your spirit would speak to each heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.